I'm a little worried that I might be starting to get a reputation around here as that priest who avoids the gospel. <laughs> I think this is at least my third sermon in a row where I have turned to a reading other than Luke for preaching. And I promise I really do like Luke. I've just simply been drawn to the good news in some of our other texts. And I see great good news in our epistle this morning. We're going to spend the entire month of October in 2 Timothy, working our way through this letter that is attributed to Paul. And that attribution, for those of you who might be scripture nerds, is contested by many scholars. But I really don't want us to get bogged down in a lesson on authorship. So whether it was the Apostle Paul or one of his students who knew him well, for the sake of clarity and ease this morning, we're just going to refer to the writer as Paul. This particular letter is what is known as testament literature. Those writings that occur where someone who is close to death is imparting words of wisdom or instruction, final thoughts that they just have to leave behind, particularly to loved ones or a student. For us, think about we prepare or should prepare our last will and testament. Jacob did it on his deathbed when he blessed his heirs. Moses did it throughout the book of Deuteronomy. The wise Solomon gave practical political advice right before his death. And perhaps best known to us because we hear it almost annually are those words from Jesus in what's known in his farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. Jesus tells his disciples what to expect and what to do after he has died. And if you'll recall, he promises them that they will not be alone. He promises them an advocate, the Holy Spirit. So it is with Paul's letter to Timothy. And as he almost always does, Paul starts off his letter with gratitude. There are many aspects of this letter that I find fascinating and oh so encouraging. Some of you may have known Vincent Harding. He was a social advocate. I messed that up before too. He was a social activist. I'm sure he was an advocate also. A scholar an author, and a professor for over 20 years at ILIF here in Denver. And he famously used as his icebreaker for students on the first day of class, tell me about your mama's mama. We used this as an icebreaker at a vestry retreat several years ago. I see a few of you nodding and smiling. 
and it required a complete shuffle of our agenda because folks engaged so enthusiastically with this invitation, with this prompt. We heard wonderful stories of grandmothers, a shocking number of whom were redheads. And the influence that they had on their families and the precious memories they created for their grandchildren. Now, I don't know if I was the only one who was being honest, or if I'm just unlucky enough to have had the only mama's mama who was mean as a snake. <laughs> Truly, bless her hard heart. And as an aside, my mother didn't know that meat was consumed in its solid form until she went to college. Because my Nana put every piece of meat that came into that house through the cast iron meat grinder that was permanently affixed to her kitchen counter. But I digress. <laughs> Tell me, about your mama's mama. What would Timothy say about his mama's mama? About Lois. We know that Lois was a woman of faith who raised a woman of faith, Eunice, who raised a man of faith, Timothy. That doesn't always happen, does it? And that is a strong family lineage, passing down faith from generation to generation. Lois must have lived her faith through the ups and downs of life, because there are always ups and downs. And she must have modeled through it all that God was present. Tell me about your mama's mama. I'm also intrigued by Paul's specific naming of these women. Lindsay Hardin Freeman, who is an Episcopal priest in Minnesota, undertook with three volunteers a project for a book. They documented every word in the Bible spoken by a woman. There are only 93 women in the entire Bible who are mentioned, and that includes the Apocrypha. And of those 93, only 49 are named. To be named is not inconsequential. Lois and Eunice are important figures in the lineage of Timothy's faith. They are clearly important to Paul. And I would imagine that to be named as they are, they also had a big impact in their community as well. If you noticed, at the beginning of the letter, Paul refers to Timothy as his beloved child, acknowledging that sometimes our family is not just defined by DNA, but rather shaped 
by shared faith and love based on trust and companionship. Adoption was an alien concept in ancient Israel, but one of the many ways that Jesus turned the notion of family on its head. Jesus sometimes told followers to leave their biological family. He invited them to join the family of faith and believers. And even from the cross, Jesus united Mary and the beloved disciple to each other as mother and son. This notion of adoption was really important to Paul. He mentions it again and again in his letters to the fledgling Christian communities around the Mediterranean. Now, fortunately, while my mama's mama was difficult, my mama wasn't. And I feel blessed that beyond my own mother, I can name countless older women in my life who have adopted me, who have modeled deep faith, and who have shaped me by their love. Paul lifts up and lauds both ways of being family in these very few verses. Like Jesus' promise of the advocate in John, Paul reminds his beloved student Timothy that while spreading the gospel message will be difficult at times, and that he may even suffer for it, as Paul himself has, Timothy will never be doing it alone. He will always have the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. And my friends, I know you know this well. The life of faith is never lived in a vacuum. Paul is almost always writing to whole communities, to families with biological ties and communal connections. He is almost always pointing to the way with the help of God and the Holy Spirit and that wonderful model and example, Jesus, ways that we can live together. Paul understands deeply the need for community and a family of faith because the world can simply be too much to take on alone. Whether in times of joy or in times of suffering, we need each other. Whether coming from loving families or coming from families we are just grateful to have survived, we need each other. Whether we learned our faith at the knee of our mama's mama or we are just awakening to God, for the first time, here and now, we need each other. Paul needed the support of community, 
and the hospitality of strangers as he journeyed to spread the word of Christ. Paul needed the meals and the care brought to him by followers as he was imprisoned. Paul needed the companionship of Timothy as he traveled, and he needed to pass on his wisdom to his student in that last testament. We too need companions on the way. We need our family of origin and or our family of choice. We need our community, this place, St. John's, where we come again and again to learn for fellowship and to worship. Coming here to St. John's where our faith is tested and practiced and sustained. Paul is grateful to God when he remembers Timothy constantly in his prayers night and day. I wonder, for whom are you grateful? Is it the Lois and Eunice in your life? Or maybe that adopted family like Paul, or maybe your entire community. I know that I am grateful for each of you. Amen.